What do you do when you get to the end of a great movie? Or the end of a great novel? Or the end of a really great meal? Let's do that again, <laughs> right? Maybe like a savored meal, you learn that this time, I'm not gonna rush through it. I'm gonna take my time to, to savor things, pick out different things I didn't notice the first time around. I'm gonna build off of what I learned. Like now that I know that this scene is critical for the rest of the movie, I'm really gonna pay attention to the ways that it applies throughout the rest of the movie. I've listened to Charles Dickens' uh, Tale of Two Cities. Yes, listened, not like read through like physically, uh, probably three times now. And I love it because each time I engage with that work, I, I know the scenes that should be savored. And I wanna go through them like, like they're in slow motion. I don't do that whole like actually go through it in slow motion because if you've ever done like, the podcast you're listening to or something at half a time, it just makes the speaker sound drunk, like they're slurring their speech. So podcasters, please don't do that. It's embarrassing how that ends up sounding. For Revelation, I promise you, I did not nearly catch everything there is to see in it. Just the main stuff. And hopefully we, we demystified it a little bit, made it a little more approachable engageable. Here's the important thing that I hope we understand at this point, that this revelation, this apocalypse isn't pretend, it's promise. This is not some fiction story that, that we picked up, the great reveal. It's promise. This is the incredible, valuable letters from our Lord, the the glorified Jesus Christ. If we said back in week four, as we looked at the letters to the seven churches, that this was like love letters from a devoted groom, then, then treat them that way, cherish them that way. Be thankful for this great gift to the people like that. Or as the Shema instructed, write it, on your forehead, your thoughts, and write it on your hand, your actions, that the great mysteries and awe-inspiring wonder that we get to look at here isn't pretend, it's promise. And with the final words of Revelation, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, amen. And with those final words, the apocalypse of John is completed. The storyline of the Bible finds its culmination. And as we take a big sigh and we, we sit back and we still find ourselves where? In the midst of history. In the midst of the story, this is where it's different than like picking up Tale of Two Cities or, or some other fiction that's about a different time because we close the book and we still find ourselves somewhere in the midst of the story, just living it out. We're somewhere in the book, like it's a biography or a historic 
account, and we're still living this. And we put the book down, and we still find ourselves right in the midst of history, right in the midst of time. There will come a definitive point where all of this that we've discovered, all will be. A point that when everything from the worship songs to the pouring out of the judgments to the removal of the restraints for the enemy to be given away to themselves will all not just be pointed to, but will happen, will be real and final. But we are in the midst of the story. We are not done. So endure. Get this perspective. Call people to repent and worship. Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now that we're at this point in the study, we can hopefully see the way this letter masterfully accomplished the purposes it sets out for. Give much needed hope and challenge to the seven first century churches amidst their heavy persecution and to every church group of believers since. The whole thing from John's introduction, introducing the timelessness of God, to the specific insights Jesus gave to the seven churches, to the visions of transcendent worship before the throne, to fierce, unyielding opposition from the enemy and nations that the enemy deceives, to the exhaustive messages, restrained wrath that God pours out in order that some may repent, any may repent, to the beast and the prostitute and the lake of fire, And then gloriously, the wedding day and the renewed heaven and the renewed earth, all of this being revealed is a letter, a message for the people of God. Heed it. Keep what is written in it. Take it all seriously that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon, the prostitute beasts. Jesus will not let Babylon go unchecked. He will return to remove evil from his good world and make all things renewed. It is a certainty. So what side will you be found on? What side are you living for today with your values? When I very first sat down to map out the whole study, I knew we couldn't just end with the last words of Revelation, not because they're not sufficient in and of themselves, but I even personally had this sense that you get to the end of Revelation and you take a deep breath and and you close the book and you go, so what? So what? I want us to take a look at how an experience of Revelation both now and a continued experience, can help us answer that question. So what? Read your Bibles backwards now. (laughs) See all the ways that God will be glorified and his church will endure. 
I assure you, if it's, if it's not already happening in your life, you're going to see all kinds of things popping up when, when you have this kind of study in your spiritual tool belt. In scripture and beyond scripture. For example, I, I encountered something right at the end of, of Alexander Dumas's Count of Monte Cristo, right at the end of this really long book. These are the last words. All of human wisdom can be contained in just two words, wait and hope. That sound familiar? That's coming right out of the knowledge that we get out of Revelation. Revelation, this stuff is everywhere. And it's the same with the greatness of God's timeless truth spread throughout the other 65 books of our Bible. So that's why now, upon engaging in Revelation and getting a taste of that perspective, now read your Bibles backwards. For me, I have found seven different ways that I look at things completely differently now after immersing myself in, in this book of Revelation for the better part of a year. And hey, there's seven, <laughs> seven things. Not that this is scripture, but I think that there is a divine truth like, see these seven specific things in a new way and see everything in a new way. I think there's some truth to that. Seven things I know I want to keep in front of me long after I'm done with this study. And I want to invite them to stick with you too. Hence, the magnets that we have. This, this thing that I don't want to forget that I should see these things anew. If you didn't get one, we have some in the back. If you're listening on podcast, we have them available at the church. Give us your email address or your mailing address. We'd love to send one to you. We wanna be generous with that because we want what we encounter here to last, to stick with us. I would love if we could all be just a little bit different because of John's apocalypse. And we wanna keep that in front of us. So here we go, seven things that I wanna keep in front of me. See Jesus anew and keep seeing him anew. I think that note about keep seeing him anew is gonna apply to all of these things, seeing things anew and continually doing that. But as the main character of Revelation, as the main character of human history, Start off by seeing Jesus anew. And then keep pressing that refresh button to see if there's more and more and more that you can experience from him in a fresh way. See Jesus's timelessness anew, that he wasn't just born in a manger, lived for three decades, ministered particularly for three years, He's the timeless one. See him above all of history and then see him in the gospels because it becomes more and more and more profound the more we grasp that the lion of Judah, the great slain lamb, the king of kings, the one riding on the white horse in Revelation, what he did in the gospels, he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. In light of Revelation, that's shocking. 
he stooped down like a servant. It's even more astonishing in light of Revelation. The ways the demons shudder and obey make us go, yeah, you better run. (laughs) It makes all the sense in the world now that the demons obey him, and it makes no sense at all that people don't, and that I sometimes don't, in light of Revelation. Jesus' teachings are more profound now. His compassion is more sweet. The rejection that he faces from his own disciples is more shocking. His trial and his beating is more gut-wrenching. His resurrection somehow is even more glorious. And his great commission is more unthreatened and victorious. In light of all that we have seen here in Revelation, see Jesus anew and keep seeing him anew. Second, see sin anew. In many ways, I can tell you this has been the single most practical impact that I have personally experienced from immersing in Revelation. The temptation and the rebellion that that creeps into my life looks more putrid and offensive than it did before. It looks more fleeting, less satisfying, more like a cheap knockoff, fool's gold. I once heard a phrase that the grass is only greener on the other side because the enemy spray painted it that way. That's a little similar to the bad taste that's left in my mouth that I find myself getting when I sin in light of the realities of revelation. And then my own weakness when even seeing it that way, I still choose it. I feel like Paul who said, I do the very things I don't want to do. What a wretch I am. In fact, I want to get back to that one when we talk about another perspective, seeing something else anew in, in a bit. But see sin anew as the agenda of the dragon, the beast, the prostitute. Temptation, deception, false teachings, spiritual laziness, no sin is innocuous. No sin is trivial, a minor deal. Don't manage or placate your sin. Destroy it. It has no business in your life. And then see the way we are being fully and completely and eventually perfectly transformed away from our sin and towards Christ. See sin anew. Third, see battles anew. Be prepared to fight differently. You want to wage war the way the world fights? You're only playing into the enemy's agenda. In no way does this mean we lay down. It means that we fight and we fight differently. Scripture is constantly telling us, don't repay evil with evil and don't conform to the battle plans of the world. And you want to conquer someone in a battle with them? Heap burning coals of kindness all over them. (laughs) Armor yourself up because the battle is real. 
recognize that what seems like worldly pleasure is actually cosmic deception. The greatest, hardest battles you and I are gonna fight are probably not gonna involve blood being spilt and shed. The greatest battles that you and I are gonna fight are probably gonna involve more of tears being shed and temptation and the lures of an Ephesus-like, Vegas-like battleground. The enemy is not really winning so much when you and I are, are physically torn apart. But get you hooked on porn or gossip or pride or the cares of the world, that's where the dragon and the prostitute want us. Weak, probably alone, ashamed, isolated, and never forget the posture that Jesus takes, especially when we find ourselves in enemy-occupied territory. Throughout the Gospels, reading our Bibles backwards, when we see Jesus encountering people that are under the oppression of the enemy, what's his posture like? He comes to them as a sympathetic mighty liberator. In other words, even if you or someone around you does find yourself wading into enemy territory, don't fear Jesus. He's there for you. He's there for you. One more thing on this point. See tribulations and suffering and martyrs in a new way. Special attention is given from heaven in this great apocalyptic work for those that are willing to stay faithful even unto death. Where the world views their story as largely losses and tragic, even in the headlines we see from Nashville this week, the world's gonna account for this as tragic. Heaven sees it a little bit different that the beautiful saints are vindicated and tremendously honored. I feel compelled that I should honor martyrs for the faith in new and profound ways in light of revelation. Next, see death anew. I'm not saying that I look forward to it now, but I'm also not not saying that. <laughs> Paul said, which is better? I can't decide. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Death in many ways has lost its thing. Death isn't the greatest possible threat that we're gonna face. It's a definitive transition point. And we also know that there will come a time where death itself will die. Death will die at the return of Jesus in the day of the Lord. And see anew what the resurrection of the dead promises us, fully perfected, incorruptible bodies, souls, and minds in order to usher all of creation into new and uncharted territory as God leads us. And then very seriously and quite solemnly, for those of us who have had people we love die, 
and we're not sure about their state of salvation, that makes us turn to the next thing I want us to see anew. While we can, while we have the chance, while we can fog up a mirror with our breath, see calls to repent, yours and others, anew. I will probably never forget the gut punch feeling that I encountered in the midst of this study when I encountered chapter nine. Because this is all rich, apocalyptic, artistic communication, and it's like you can see and feel all of the emotion and effort and care of the Lord doing absolutely everything he can that wayward people would just turn to him. And they persist in their lostness. Like I said that week that we talked about this, it's almost paralyzing. It almost leaves me going, I don't know what to do with this. In light of Revelation, I think I understand Paul's words, the kind of profound grief that causes him to say this crazy statement, I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. If I could switch places with them, I wish I could. An agonizing sense of mourning for the lost that just stubbornly remain in their rebellion and enmity of Jesus. And it all puts some big highlights behind some of the warnings that, that the seven churches are given in chapters two and three and our sin. Don't be overcome by the stubbornness of rebellion, people. Don't allow laziness or false teachings or temptations of the world to yield to unfaithfulness. Take seriously the words I give you because I give them out of love to the people that I love, I correct and I reproach. Just like we said earlier, see sin anew, personally, in general and universally, and practically do something about it. Altogether, it's kind of the one part of Revelation that I'm walking away very unsettled with, seeing sin and calls to repent anew. And maybe this is irreconcilable, this side of heaven, that we're gonna have this constant struggle seeing people's refusal to repent from God's perspective. And this side of heaven, we're gonna struggle until the point where Jesus wipes away every tear, and we finally receive perfect comfort. Two more. See the sword, the word of God anew. Don't get caught in battle without your weapon. How many of us have mistaken our Bibles or biblical teaching and reading as just a stale, lifeless, ritualistic practice? I know I need to read my Bible more. Dust that thing off. Be grateful that we are not just plopped down in the middle of a battle without a weapon, without an ability to do anything about it for ourselves or others. Don't neglect God's word. Don't be afraid of it. And don't be inexperienced or untrained in it. When God's word calls me to be baptized, 
I see now in light of this that it's not some arbitrary act of religion. It's because it's how he intends the army of the lamb to conquer and share the message of our personal salvation with a world around us that needs to hear about it. When God calls me to be generous, I can see now in light of this that I can actually afford to be generous because all the time and resources that I've been entrusted with, they're not mine in the first place. Only time and treasures that I was blessed to steward for the king in the time that he's given me. Read and study and respond to everything we encounter in God's word with proficiency and faithfulness. And while there are still mysteries for us to encounter in his word, there are always riches available, especially in the most complex content. The army of the lamb conquers with this sword. We shine light into dark places with this sword. We see souls won over to the kingdom with this sword. We detect lies, we find refuge with this sword. We frustrate all kinds of attacks of the enemy with this sword. And finally, see worship anew. God will be glorified, his people must endure. Worship is timeless in a sense that it is happening right now and it's unending and it's unthreatened. God is not likely to be worshiped or even eventually will be worshiped or he's waiting on a certain outcome in order to be fully worshiped or a certain style of music or a state of the church to be worshiped. Right now, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When you're sitting in your darkest hour, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. When Satan and the great dragon and all of his forces are given away to their rebellion and ultimate judgment, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. God will be glorified. His church must and will endure. He is worthy. He is deserving so may we always strive to check our lackluster offerings of worship for any reason. Do you see in light of Revelation how petty it seems that on a, on a worship weekend, on a Sunday service, I might restrain from giving God my whole heart because I'm afraid how the person next to me might view my hand raising. <laughs> or my mood, or my style of worship. Worship God. Join in alongside the choir of heaven, not just someday when I die, but now. Even with creativity, offering up a new song and a new life lived as a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice 
of praise. That means it's something in my life that's gonna be costly when I offer it. He deserves that kind of worship. Worship expressed over all kinds of diversities, but always centered on him. So we're careful about focusing on our own preferences and we're careful about worshiping the wrong things like old man John found necessary a couple of times. Or how about this? Constantly find new experiences of why he's worthy to be worshiped. Even in his perfect wrath and vengeance. That may be one that I'm gonna have to keep working on, but if it is a perfect part of God and who he eternally is, maybe one day I'll be able to wholeheartedly sing that worship song. Keep finding new experiences of why God is worthy of worship. I have a greater sense of worship as a husband, as a parent, as a pastor than I did before I was any of those things. I have a lot more to specifically praise God for. I see new dimensions of the ways in which God is working. In some ways, I increasingly see how little control I actually have. And that stirs up new senses new opportunities for worship in me. And I want us to close our study with this, with scripture. Isaiah 42, 10, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Psalm 40, verse three, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and we'll trust in the Lord. Keep discovering those, those new foundations for songs to him. Keep seeing all these things, all of life anew. Revelation 1, verse 3. One last time, and I actually want you to read it with me. I think it'll be on the screens for us. Let's read this together. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's study. If you're interested in giving, for ministry and service information, and much more, visit our website at timberlinechurch.org. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.